Amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Go ahead and tell somebody, I am happy you are here. Tell somebody else, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you, happy to see you, happy to see you, happy to see you. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. Man, there's lots of love in the room this morning. Did we put something extra in the coffee this morning? Is that what it is? Whatever we did, do that. Keep doing that. All right. Well, for those of you, again, that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose, and it is a pleasure to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I count it a privilege to serve you today. We count it a privilege to serve you and to share with you the Word of God, to share fellowship with you, to do life with you, to get to know you and walk alongside you. So today we're going to be continuing on a series that we've been on start, that started last week called Life Behind the Scenes. Life Behind the Scenes. Now, I know you're, some of us are thinking, well, what, what's that all about? You know, what, what do you have, a secret life? We're talking about the bones in our closets? And no, that's not what we're talking about at all. I want you to know something, that there is more to life than what you know. There's more to life than what you see. There's more to life than what you feel. There's more to life than what you've learned and what you experience. And so last week, we learned two key points. We learned, one, that who you are is not what you see. Who you are is not what you see. We looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, and it says, May God himself, may who himself? God, right? So may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together. Watch this. Watch how God puts you and I together, spirit, soul, and body. And may he keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. So I want you to think about this. For many of us, we live life according to our senses. What are you talking about? Talking about what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what we've experienced, right? What we're told. And so we live according to the body. We live according to the external. But the thing is that you got to realize that the scripture says you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind. That's your mind, will, and emotions. And it says that you live in a body. This is a container, but the life is within, right? And so we also learned that life does not consist by our leading, but by who we lean to. Let me tell you what the scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. That's talking about this body. What, what in other portions of scripture, it puts it this way, the flesh. And so those who are dominated by the body, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. I want you to see that life is dictated by one or the other. You can live according to what you feel. You can live according to what you hear. You can live according to what you've experienced. Or you can live according to the one that's leading, the Spirit of God. So verse 6 says, so letting your sinful nature, your body, control your minds leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Anybody looking for some life and peace? You know what I'm talking about? Like true life, right? So you're either leaning to the leading of your body or the spirit of God. You can't do both. 
So every day we rise and we have to face the temptation to live life by what we see, by what we feel, by what we've experienced. But unless we grasp the reality that there's more to life than what we see, the external, unless we grasp that reality, here's what's going to happen. We'll never live life fully. You know why? Because we're perceiving it partially. If all you're doing is being led by your impulses, oh, sweetheart, you don't know, he is so fine. Sicky, sicky, quack, quack. He is, oh, all that in a bag of chips with a soda, right? If all you are is led by the external, by your impulses, by your feelings, by what you see, by what you taste, by what you touch, if all we do is live according to our impulses, what comes naturally, we're living life partially. God makes us fit and whole, spirit, soul, and body. And so today I want to talk to you about the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. See, as I said already, who you are is more than what you see. But we really got to dig into what the Word of God says. And so I want to start off with a, a story uh, that I heard once. Uh, it's, uh, it was written by this philosopher named Plato. And it was written in, in this, uh, this writing called The Republic. And it's alluded to as Plato's allegory of the cave. And so, basically, what Plato was trying to accomplish was to illustrate what life looks like when we are enlightened. And in his case, he's trying to tell us that the enlightened life comes from philosophy. That's not true. The scriptures, Jesus said this. Scriptures say this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So life is in Jesus. But I want to use this example to illustrate something. So the way the allegory of the cave goes, there are three prisoners in a cave. And these prisoners are tied to some rocks and their arms and their legs are bound and their head is tied in such a way that they cannot look at anything but the wall in front of them. So they're looking at a stone wall in front of them. And these prisoners have been there since birth. And they've never seen the outside of the cave. And behind the prisoners is a fire that keeps them warm. And between the fire and the outside of the cave, there's a walkway on which people walk through daily. And they carry animals and they carry their, their, their you know, the plants that they buy and they, they walk up and down this walkway, and they carry stones and whatever. So they're doing life, right? And so here's what happens. These prisoners can't look behind them. They can't look at anything that's behind them or to the side of them. And so all they can do is look forward at the wall. And what they see is the shadows that are cast according to the people that are walking by and the the, the shadow that's being cast by the, by the people as they're walking by and the flame is projecting onto the wall. And so here's what happens. These people live life believing that the shadows are real. That that's 
reality, right? So if you've never seen any of these real objects before, you would believe that these shadows or objects were completely real. And so here's the thing, on a daily basis, these prisoners play a game of guessing which shadow will appear next. And if one of the prisoners were to correctly guess, the others would praise him as clever and declare them to be the winner and a master of nature and life. But one day, one of the prisoners escapes. He breaks free from those from that which bound him to those rocks and all of a sudden he looks around and he sees an opening at the cave he walks past the fire and walks out into the outside of the cave and for the very first time he sees the sun and as he sees the sun it blinds him and then all of a sudden his eyes begin to normalize and for the very first time he sees what the shadows actually were. People and birds and animals and the, sh- the, 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 the sky moving and he sees the blues and he sees the yellow and he sees all these things and it amazes him. He goes on a journey where he discovers the beauty and the meaning of life that there's so much more than the cave. And he sees that his former life and the guessing game were all useless. Guess what happens in the allegory of the cave? This prisoner returns back to the cave. And he begins to tell the people that he was with in this cave about everything that life is. And you know what their response is? They plot to kill him. I'll tell you why I share that with you as we get started here today because it stands to reason that if we don't look deeper within to who God says we are who God says you are and we choose instead to focus on the shadows that life that the external casts before us as reality you know what will happen we will never discover what life can truly makes sense and so today I invite you to take a look beyond the cave the cave of your life the cave of the shadows that you've focused on at times and I want us to examine the scriptures and see what they reveal about who we really are and why it's so important to look beyond the shadows that all right So you see, there's a need for a new perspective. And we got to turn to Proverbs 23, verses 6 and 7. It says this, it says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. Listen closely. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says, but his heart is not with you. I want you to notice something here. That what you believe in your heart is directly tied to what you experience in life. Let me take that a step further. What you believe about yourself is tied directly to your experience in life. That makes sense? And so here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. What do you believe about yourself? Is what you believe about yourself consistent with what God says about you? 
Or is it consistent with your emotions? Is it consistent with your experiences? You know, if you grow up and you're told you're a loser long enough, you believe that. And your identity is, in your mind, loser. But that is not the truth. That is not the truth at all. We've got to get past the cave. Notice that the miser in these verses says one thing. He says, eat and drink. In other words, he says, hey, let me help you. But watch what the scripture tells us. It tells us that while this miser says, eat and drink, and it appears that he means well and is sincere, he cannot get away from who he believes himself to be in his heart. And so what we learn here is this, that unless we see ourselves according to the truth of what God says, unless we believe rightly, we will live wrongly, if that's even a word. We'll live wrong. You won't get the right results. You'll remain stuck in who you used to be. You'll remain stuck in negative attitudes. You'll remain stuck in fear. You'll remain stuck in your pity party. You'll remain stuck in your boo-hoo and your emotions. And that's not the will of God. He says, come out the cave and let me show you what life really is. Let me show you who you are. Because as you think and believe in your heart, so are you. So are you. Proverbs 20, 27 puts it this way. It says, the spirit of a man, God, and tell somebody, that's talking about me. Tell somebody else, that's talking about me. That's talking about you. Listen, it says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Searching all the inner depths of the heart. Get this picture. Here you're saying, God, show me. God, teach me. God, enlighten me to your wisdom. And here's what he says. The light's already on. Because I live in you. Are you looking at what I'm showing you? Are you moving according to what you used to see outside of the light? Are you living life in darkness? Listen, without a revelation of God's word and who the word of God declares you to be, you will live, I will live, we will live in complete darkness. And so when we live with an awareness of who we really are, it serves as a lamp that the Lord uses. Get this picture. God wants you and I to know who we are in Christ. You know why? Because by that knowledge... You can partake of his divine nature. You can see the truth. You can live freely. See, this is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Some of you can actually quote this one. It says that you are now a new creation, that all things have passed away. And then it goes on to say this. Behold, all things have become new. It says, behold, all things have become new. You know, you, know, you know what it's telling us there? It's saying, hey, this is the truth. You are a new creation. You're alive in Christ. You have everything that you require for life and godliness. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. All wisdom has been made known to you in Christ. Oh, that's everything the scripture declares and more. 
And, but the scripture tells us, hey, you're a new creation. The question is, are we beholding? I'll put it to you this way. Are you actually taking a hold of that in your life? You know, knowledge of the word from a distance serves us no purpose. I know what the word says. I had a guy once tell me, there is nothing you can preach that I haven't heard. And I said, brother, you're hired. You can have my job because you have arrived. You supersede the words of Jesus. You supersede what the word of God says that now we know in part, but then we'll know just as we're made known unto him. And so, bro, you, you, you praise you. My point with that is simply this, that on a daily basis, we must, pay, we must pay attention. We must grow in the knowledge. We must behold what God has done in us. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it. I believe it's Galatians chapter 2. He says, man, Paul? Who's Paul? He says, it's no longer I that live. I, don't even focus on me. He says, I don't live. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm not alive. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. And so let's talk a little bit about who you are behind the scenes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 18 says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, So get the picture of what we're seeing in Scripture. We're facing one way, and then all of a sudden, you turn to the Lord. Watch this. You're not just turning your vision. The direction of your life is turning. And so watch what it says. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So here's what it's saying. That when we're not focused on Christ, we live blind. That make sense? And so whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, that word there is so important. Now, now that you're turned the right way, now that you're looking to God, now that you're growing in an understanding of your identity, now that you know all these great and precious promises... Now that you're receiving all this, this is now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In other words, when you start looking to God, you become free of all those things that once blinded you, that once kept you in the dark. Your struggles begin to diminish away, and you, you start growing in your identity. You feel good about yourself. You walk taller. You think higher. You don't, where once you saw hurdles, now you see opportunities. Where once you doubted God, now you trust God. Where once you saw the worst, now you see the best. And so verse, 17, verse 18 says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Listen, because we all fail at times, it's easy to look at ourselves 
as failures and less than what God's word says about who we are. But let me just tell you something if that's where you are. You're looking in the wrong place. It's time to turn around. It's time to turn and simply behold Christ. Let me tell you why. Because as you look to Christ, according to what we just read, you find out who you really are. When you start trusting in God and looking to God and depending upon God, it's like a mirror at work in your life. Can you imagine getting up one day and going to the mirror and everything works? Can you imagine that? Your hair is done. The makeup is on fleek. It's like amazing. Right? I mean, it's like done. The eyebrows are just perfect, right? Your hair, in my case, you know, the head is shining. In your case, the hair is flowing, right? But whatever, can you imagine looking to a mirror and one day going, there is nothing that I have to do, right? I guarantee you, you would, man, I got it going on. I'm all that and then some. Can I tell you why I share that with you? Because according to the scriptures, here's what it says, that as we look to Christ, we are transformed into his image. You begin to walk taller. You know who you are. You know you're anointed. You know that nobody can stand before you because God is with you. Look, what you look up to is what you become. What you look up to is what you become. Think of it that way. And so this is where freedom begins. Freedom from your past, freedom from your insecurities, freedom from your False beliefs, freedom from limitations, freedom from your past. It's what we know about Christ in us. There's a portion of scripture where it declares that Christ is the hope of glory. Christ in you is what it says, the hope of glory. Christ in you. It's time to get out the cave. Go ahead and tell somebody it's time to leave the cave. Tell somebody, let's go. Tell somebody else, let's go. We're out of here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21 says this. It says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, watch this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So Get what you receive. Get what's at work once you begin to know Christ in your life. Wisdom and revelation. All of a sudden, you can see clearly is what it's telling us, right? Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's in you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. I want you to see some things about what the scripture teaches us about who you are about who I am, about who we are. It says that hope is at work within you. You know, that that should really encourage our faith. 
Because many times we go seeking hope in people. We're hoping and a wishing and a praying for somebody to come through and hope lives within you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? So hope is at work within you. Notice this, that you have an inheritance in the saints waiting to spring up in you. You know what's powerful about an inheritance? It's all there, but it doesn't avail you anything until you take hold of your inheritance. You got to know what's yours. You got to know what's yours. Oh, I, I, some of you didn't get that. I, I guarantee you, you won the lotto, and I said, let me get some of that. You would go, uh-uh, that's mine. Listen, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I want you to think about this because you know what you got. You have to know the inheritance that's yours so that it can spring up. Here's what we also see that we have exceeding power. Exceeding power. There's a power surge at work in your life all the time, it's constantly flowing. Are you flipping the switch? Are you partaking of the power that's available to you? And the scripture says that Christ is seated far above all principality, power, and might that stands against us. But here's the thing. You're seated there too. The scripture says that you're seated in heavenly places. See, here we are living life like I'm this low minion down here somewhere. And God is consistently, constantly reminding us according to his words. Why are you living at that level when I've already raised you up in Christ? That makes sense? Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You know what the scripture is saying here? It's giving us a contrast between Adam and Jesus. And here's what it's telling us. Through Adam, the first man, the original man, guess what, guess what we all inherited? Sin. That's what we inherited. He says, but there's another man who came in his place, who came in your place, and his name is Jesus. And through Jesus, here's what you've received. You've received Christ who's now within you and you are righteous and God favors you. See, you are one with Christ and you are righteous right now. And as a result, according to the scripture, not my opinion, get this, you reign in life. Can I ask you a question? Not for you to tell on yourself, but just to consider. Just to really internalize and think about this. Are you living like the child of God that you are declared to be? Kingdom kids. Are you selling yourself short? We've got to be real with ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says this, and we're also going to read verse 16. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. But watch this, you're not crushed. Go ahead and tell somebody, I'm not crushed. It says, you're perplexed, 
but not in despair. Somebody needs to praise God for that one. It says we're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but we're not destroyed. Watch what he says. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be revealed in our body. And so watch verse 16. He says, therefore, in other words, because of that, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Watch what's at work in you. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You ever done this? You wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I'm just getting so much older these days. I can't relate to you. Sorry. Can't relate to you. Can't relate to you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I can't relate to you. I like what somebody just said. I got too much to do. Right? Listen, the truth is this, that outwardly these bodies, they decay. But you know what's the danger in that? That many times we go according to what we feel in the body and what we're told by doctors and what we, feel and what we see. And we go, oh, uh, my life is just a wreck and it's so bad. And here's what the scripture declares, that while this wastes away, inwardly there's something being renewed, reinvigorated, re-energized in you daily. You are being renewed daily in the very image of God. Every day that's at work in you. And so listen, the scripture talks about these two kings. Two men, they were both loved by God and chosen by God to be vessels of influence, to be used by him to exert great influence on God's behalf amongst his people in Israel. These guys were both called to be kings. One of them's name was Saul. The other one's name was David. But that's all that they had in common. That's all they had in common. Loved by God, called by God, appointed by God, right? To be his mouthpiece, to serve as leaders for the benefit of Israel, for the sake of God's name amongst the people of Israel. That's all they had in common. What was different about both of these men is this. What was different about their life stories was that who they believed themselves to be in the sight of God. Both called by God, both anointed by God, but both believed differently about who they were. God's people at this time were under great duress. You could turn in your Bibles real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 9. God's people were under great duress during this, this time at the hands of their enemies, these people known as the Philistines. And so God tells the prophet Samuel, that's just his guy. He tells Samuel, listen, you're going to run into this guy named Saul. And when you meet him, I want you to anoint him. He's the man that I've chosen to rule, to deliver the people, my people, from their oppression. And so at face value, you got to understand what this looks like. Saul had all the physical qualities of a king. Listen, this guy was the tallest guy in all Israel. Tallest guy. Not only that, he was, mm, 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 he was handsome, is what the scripture says. He was a very good-looking guy. He was impressive. His stature, his facial features. 
And to top it, and, and, and if that isn't enough, he came from a very wealthy family among the elite of Israel. And so this guy, Saul, is chosen to be king. Now get this, not only did he have all those physical qualities going on, but God chose him. God chose him. Think about this. God says to you, you are my anointed one. You're the one that I'm choosing. I don't know about you, but that says a lot. But watch what 1 Samuel 9, verse 21 tells us about Saul. Watch his response to hearing that God has chosen him. It says that Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan, in other words, my family line, the least of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Listen, while being the largest man in all Israel, he saw himself as the smallest. The scriptures say that on the next day after he receives this message, the prophet Samuel gathers all the people of Israel. And he says, come gather. I'm about to present to you the the man that God has chosen to be your king. And all the people of Israel gather together and they're excited. We're going to get a king. God is giving us a king and they're all excited. And Samuel looks around and he goes, where is he? And the Bible says that Saul was hiding amongst bags of supplies. He was hiding. Not me. Not me. You know, in some Christian circles, they call that humility. You know what I call that? A lie. It's not, there's, there's no humility in that. Oh, no, certainly not I, Lord. There's no humility in that. That's pride. It's falsehood. And so this guy, Saul, is hiding under bags. But you see, the problem was that Saul was God's choice, but God was not his choice. God was not his choice. The scriptures reveal that his undoing came at the hand of his own insecurities and his desire for the acceptance and approval of the people. God played no factor in his life in that regard. None. Enter in a 15-year-old boy named David. 15 years before Saul is actually stripped of the kingdom, God tells Samuel, I have another man that I'm choosing to be king. He's a man that has a heart after mine. His desires are my desires. The love of his heart is my love. He's a man that resembles me in his approach, in his attitude, in his orientation. And so God decides that David is to be the new king, a boy who no one knew but who God saw. That, need, that, that right there, somebody needs to hear that. You're worrying about who sees you and who knows you, and what you, what you fail to realize is who, who God sees. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. I said, God sees you. And so while David was hidden to the world, God was working behind the scenes of his life. 
His relationship with God, if you study the scriptures, proved to be the very thing that groomed him, matured him, and made him into the king that God would choose. So the Bible says that when the time comes, God sent Samuel to anoint this king of Israel, this boy, David. And he's from the family line of a man named Jesse, a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem was their home, or so it would seem. And so let's turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 13. Watch what it says here. It says that when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Now you got to understand something, that David had, there were seven brothers in total, right? And so Samuel arrives, and he sees the eldest, this guy named Eliab. If you study the scriptures, what you see is that Eliab was a man of war. Eliab was impressive. And so when he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things, at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, wait, 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 wait. Are these all the sons that you have? Watch this. Oh, there's still the youngest. Jesse answered, yeah, but he's tending sheep. He's, he's out there tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, listen closely, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went on to Ramah. As we're wrapping up here, I want to give you some things to consider. What God sees in you matters most. What God sees in you matters most. It matters most. I'm going to say that again. What God sees in you matters most. So why are you worrying about what everybody else says? Why are you moved by what other people tell you they see? What God sees in you matters most. See, as people, we have the tendency to overlook what God is doing in our lives by what's happening in our lives. We get moved by what's happening. And God sees you differently. He sees your complete story. Every Sunday, uh, we, we have what we call family nights. And so my son and my, my daughter-in-law come over. And soon enough, my grandchild will be coming over too, right, once he's born. 
right? But my son and my, do- and my daughter-in-law come over, Karina, you know, she, she gets home from work or whatever, and, and my wife cooks, and we, we just gather together, and we have dinner, and we watch a movie or something. So last week we were watching a movie. I couldn't even tell you what it was about. I, I'm like that. I don't pay attention to movies. I like them for the entertainment, but I don't pay attention to the details. And so as we're watching the movie, I'm like, ooh, ooh, this person, yup, they're going to betray him. And my son says, just watch the movie and you'll see. And so I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this is the person who's going to make it. This is the one. This is the guy who's, who's behind it all. He goes, just watch the movie and you'll see. And here I'm making all these assumptions based on what I see. I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm unraveling the story. Let me tell you something. Somebody here needs to hear this. Stop trying to dictate what your story is by your assumptions. Because... All we have to do is just watch God and let him unfold the story. Stop assuming that you failed. Stop assuming that you can't make it. Stop assuming that you're done. Stop assuming that God gave up on you. God is still the author and finisher of your faith. He's still writing your story, and we just need to walk into it day by day. That makes sense? So stop looking at yourself through flawed eyes. And start looking by what God declares about you, about who you really are. See, there's nothing small about who you are and where you are right now. There's nothing small about you. Nothing small about you and nothing small about the place you find yourself in in life. You know when life appears small? When we start looking at other people. When you start looking to your right and to your left. Who defines small and who defines big? Do men do that? Unfortunately, we allow ourselves to believe that lie. David wasn't just the youngest in his household. He was the smallest in everyone's eyes. But if you read the Psalms, what you'll find is that David was in the habit of praising God in what seemed little. In what everyone else overlooked, David saw it and he said, man, that's God at work. Listen to Psalm 8, 3 through 4 and and verse 9 as well. He says, when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? In verse 9 he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How many times do you not wake up and walk past the sky as if it's nothing? How many times do we take for granted the sun? The little things in life. And we go, oh, that's, that's small and insignificant. Listen, David's heart, his, his, his eyes were so focused on God that he was faithful in all the little things. He rejoiced in God in the big things and the little things. See, if you do the little things in life like they're big, you know what you'll find? That God will do the big things in your life like they're little. I'm going to say that again. If you do the little things in life like they're big, praising God, God will do the big things in your life like they're little. The biggest things, the mountains that we see, God says, that's a molehill. That's a speck of dust. Let me do what I do best. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. And lastly, I want to leave you with this point. Who lives in you 
Notice the comma. Who lives in you is all you need to know. I'll tell you why that comma is there, because we should pause and think about who lives in us. We should pause and contemplate who we are. The Bible tells us in this story of David in verse 13, it tells us that on that day when he was anointed, that the Spirit of God came upon David's life powerfully from that day forward. Listen, I share that with you because it would be another 15 years before David would officially become king. But that didn't stop him from living powerfully. David knew who was with him. David did not question when, what, how. David remained faithful. And if you study the rest of David's life, you'll see that no matter how many times it seemed like things were going wrong, when people were throwing spears at him, when enemies were surrounding him, everything was really going right for him because God was with him. The same God that now lives in you. See, David knew who he was and whose he was. And he was confident in God who was with him. Question, are you placing your confidence in the God that now lives in you? See, there's a hidden man of the heart. It's who you really are. Let's stand here today as we close out in prayer. And I want you to take a moment to do something. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to do anything to you. Security's alert. You're fine. And I want you to just think about this. We touched a lot in a short period of time. Who you are. What's at work in you. What God says. And there's a light that has gone off in our lives today. For some of you, for the very first time, your eyes are wide open and you see. You see, I know what the doctor says, but I see that my God is greater. You once saw, I can't, but now you believe, I can and I will. You once believed that you were small. Hey, David came from the smallest town where he, in his city, a place named Bethlehem. But David was a giant in the making. There's a giant in you. That's why the scriptures declare that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You live amongst giants. You are one. That's what God created you to be. Father, today we celebrate Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that as we've looked into the mirror, who Christ is, what your word declares that today, Lord, at this very moment, that there's a strengthening that has taken place. There's a firmament under the feet of your people. Your people stand tall. Your people are assured. We can live confidently because, Father, you are with us, you are for us, and you've anointed us. You've called us your children. You have not brought us this far to let us go. Lord, I pray this day, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that the eyes of the understanding of these, your people, would be enlightened to know the power of God towards them, to know the great and precious promises that have been given to them, that they would partake of the nature of God that now lives within them. Lord, that they would know the inheritance that stands in the saints. Christ 
in you the hope of glory. Hey, if there's someone here and today, you're hearing something different. Your experience, your understanding is different. You know what that's called? It's called faith. That means God has opened your eyes. Where you were once in the darkness, the light has now gone off. And if that's you today and you're saying, man, I'm bigger than I thought. Where I once saw hurdles, now I see opportunity. Can I say to you, friend, that you're prime and ready to partake of the greatest gift of all. Life in Christ. You know what that means? That means that you simply understand that apart from God, you were in the darkness. You were dead. Life made no sense. But all of a sudden, now you're looking at God and your eyes are open. And you believe that God believes in you. And so here's what you need to know, that God died, came in the form of a man, through, the, through a man named Jesus, and died our death, the penalty for our sin, so that we could be free of that penalty and we could be right with God, so that we could enjoy life with God all the time. If you believe that today with us, we want to pray this prayer of faith with you. Nothing spooky, nothing crazy. It's just simply a prayer, a declaration of our faith, of your faith. Join us at this moment in this prayer congregation. Let's pray this together with them. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I declare you're my God. And from this day forward, I'm living life outside the cave. I'm alive in you. Come on now. We need to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people. Don't leave here without letting us know the decision you've made. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we celebrate Jesus. We thank you for all you've done. We leave here with eyes wide open, full of faith, praising you and thanking you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.